This episode of Where Did It All Go Right is sponsored by Pearson. Pearson is the world's learning company, supporting talent and helping everyone to make progress in their lives through learning. Working with teachers and education experts, Pearson provides a wide range of qualification routes so you can pick the course which suits you best to develop your skills and stand out in the crowd. Visit them online at go.pearson.com forward slash where did it all go right. Hello, welcome back to the last in this series of Where Did It All Go Right? We're recording these interviews during lockdown and we hope they provide some escapism during these challenging times. I'm Ali Jones and we've got another great guest who will tell you about the pivotal moments in his career. We hope to inspire and entertain you. So this week's guest is TV presenter, journalist, author and former international Paralympic wheelchair basketball player Adi Adepitan. We sat down and had a chat via Zoom and I couldn't help noticing he had a very healthy snack with him. I'm also very impressed in what you're drinking. <laughs> it's good doing Zoom because you sort of, uh, you, can, you can see what everyone's doing. What, this is very uh, healthy. It looks very healthy anyway. Kind of. It's fresh strawberries blended with fresh mint, which I chopped up, and uh, a bit of strawberry yogurt and milk. And then I just blended it all together. Very impressive. <laughs> but it's the mint. It's the mint. The mint is the key. Well, mm. is this your lunch? Because my, my lunch was a ham sandwich, so I'm properly impressed. Thank you for, for spending your lunchtime with me. This is actually my lunch and breakfast. Um, <laughs> I, 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 a bit, bit naughty because I was, I, I was... No, what it is, is because of all the madness that's going on in the world, I've just got caught up um, answering and replying to, responding to stuff on... You know, when you end up just being in 20 million WhatsApp groups. Um, and then you're just like, oh, okay, I'm going to leave it. Oh, no, I need to answer that. Oh, no, I need to answer that. Oh, someone sent a video. The video is 15 minutes long, but I need to watch it so I know what everyone else is talking about. And before you know it, you've spent just four hours just looking at stuff. And then I thought, I do need to eat at some point. So, yeah. <laughs> how, how, how is lockdown going, going for you? Because it, it seems... You seem pretty busy from judging by, you know, I've seen you on the telly um, doing that big night in and I know you've been doing some filming. So a lot of people haven't got much to do in lockdown, but not the case for you. Well, the TV stuff, the media stuff was only recently. So that would have been the last month and a half. I mean, there was the big night in. Then there was, uh, I did a travel show and this show that BBC Two are going to be having uh, on the 17th of June, I think it will be out, and it's on how, it's called How Britain Gets Fed, um, and just about the supply chain and the food systems and all of that. But that stuff's only come sort of in the last month and a half. Generally, I haven't had any other work, but I've been keeping busy because, you know, there's plenty of stuff that you can do, you know, I can, I can write, I do live streams with the various other billions of people that are doing live streams now. And like my wife's doing music as well. So I was trying to, well, she's a musician, so she's got pretty much a recording studio here. So she's been making her music and I've been trying to learn to play the guitar. And for about two weeks, I thought I was Bob Dylan and Bob Marley and 
Eric Clapton all rolled into one. But she didn't think that. And now <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of all calmed down. But I will get back on it again. I will get back on it again. So, so yeah, the thing is, there's lots of stuff you can do to occupy yourself. Yeah. Isn't and also, it sounds like you are being more creative. In, in lockdown you're taking up a new skill and but also you've got the writing as well which 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 is really good to do at this time yeah I mean you just got time uh, I say writing I mean I've been probably more in terms of writing uh doing sort of stuff which I've just been posting on my um on my Instagram feed and bits that I've been posting on other people's things where you write and they're not not I wouldn't say full writing but it's probably the, the the sign of our times that everything is short sound bites but the the thing is because of what's going on in the world actually the stuff that you're writing is quite poignant and it's quite it's quite deep it's not just you know trivial stuff I wanted to ask um how you were feeling about that because I think we were supposed to talk a couple of weeks ago and what happened in America hadn't happened then and I thought goodness now I'm talking to you today where the world seems well it's the same place but I think everyone is talking about what happened to George Floyd. Um, mm. How are you feeling about it? I saw you posted about a, a young girl who made a really moving speech in America. Are you yeah. feeling, feeling sad, feeling angry? Um, it, hmm. it really, really, really had a profound effect on myself uh, and on my wife. Um, and a lot of people around me and it now pervades the conversation that all of us have been having for the last week or so since it all happened it it is the only thing that we we talk about it's in my mind all the time and it's it's heavy it's a really really heavy feeling um sad there's definitely sadness in there, but I think the general feeling I have is 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 a weightiness, a weightiness of 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 I'd say a burden that we have as uh, as a human race. You know this um, this this burden to try and move beyond or move from where we are to another place where we need to be um and i i slightly feel frustrated when i hear um there's conversations where which the media are taking up now um where people are talking about uh racism and they're talking about things like oh yeah this is my experience people walk across the road when they see me because i'm black or i go to a shop um and people uh, I, 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 people follow me and, and, and watch me. And I think those are all important things. They're prob- problematic and they're all things that should be highlighted and spoken about because as a black person, you experience this type of low-level racism all the time. But actually, you know, after three, four hundred years of things pretty much not changing, uh, I, I kind of think people got under uh, uh, understand and realise that actually what's needed is a systemic change. You know, um, racism, prejudice, inequality is weaved into the fabric of the system that we that that we use to to, to govern everything in our lives. 
you know, everything, our economic systems, our social systems, all of it are built on inequality. Yeah, it, it's built on creating a hierarchy. Um, and unfortunately, in that hierarchy, as um, by the very nature of hierarchy, there's always going to be someone at the top and someone at the bottom. And black people are at the bottom. Um, and they have been for a very, very long time. So you can make, we can make these surface changes, you know, in attitude and stuff like that. But until we start actually breaking down the system and more people start questioning the system that, that runs or governs the world, I think the changes we'll make will be very, very small and very, very slow. Mm. You, you talk about being at the bottom of the, of the whole system, but I think that's why it's what's really good to talk to you in that um i was yes. at the bottom of my glass yes, there sorry no, you're the slurping <laughs> i know i know i know i was like wow we've just gone i've just made this really deep statement and then started slurping a mint strawberry smoothie you you, wow, you need you need you need sustenance when you're when you're talking and when you're talking about deep things you need sustenance it's totally fine <laughs> <laughs> um but no, but the, you talk about being at the bottom of the pile, but you're so inspiring and, and, you know, people have seen you and your story. I'm sure a lot of people know your story, but just to recap, because you moved to the UK when you were, you were young. And mm-hmm. I, I was listening to, a, I think it was a, a DJ on One Extra um, this week who said, being a black man, it's more likely to be in jail or dead. And the fact that you are doing what you're doing, you're on television, which is very difficult to get on whatever isn't it you are a fantastic sports person but you 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 reached the highest that you could get to so you've broken down all those barriers so it, i guess that that's hope isn't it that it is possible to do that it, it definitely is possible to do that and um i get the frustrations and when you know uh, i think it was uh ace dj ace was probably on one extra because i know they had a special on, on racism this week. Um, but I would add to that, that this journey to get to where I've got to um, has been really, really difficult. Uh, and, you know, anyone trying to be successful and achieve uh, all sorts of things, the journey is always going to be difficult. But um, perhaps and I can only talk from my experience, I, I, I feel that it's probably been more difficult than it would have been for others. Uh, and because of the obstacles thrown in my way, because of that hierarchy that we have, because of the fact that um, there are inbuilt prejudices that you have to overcome. And it is, the great thing is, and the shining light is, is it's possible. I'm someone who can be an example for kids out there who feel they're living a life of hopelessness, who feel like um, like life is tough and they're stuck in a rut and they can't move on. Um, I am proof that it it is possible. But I caveat that and I put that, uh, I, I, I put a little asterisk on it and saying that, it's it's more difficult than it should be for some people and it really um it breaks my heart because i go to a lot of schools i do a lot of talks i get invited to speak to young kids all the way from 
you know, um, five years old all the way up to um, six formers and, and beyond. And to spread a message of inspiration, to talk about how um, people can overcome obstacles and stuff. And it does break my heart when I look at, cer at, at certain kids and I speak in certain schools and I know as much as I'm telling you um, that you can achieve this, you, for some of you, the journey is going to be so hard, harder than I can even articulate, mm. you know, and, and, and I'm really glad that they have that twinkle of hope in their eye. Um, and I, and I just hope that they can keep that where, as they come across those obstacles. Uh, and all I can try and do is by opening a few more doors, by opening not just physical doors, but uh, metaphorical doors in people's minds that it can make make it slightly easier for the next person who tries to come through you know because uh it, it there'll be a blueprint for them they'll know how to do it because they can follow in my footsteps or even um improve on what i've done uh, and and that's that's all i can do so yes I am uh, an example and I can be an inspiration to others, but I, I think there is, there is other, there's a wider story that you have mm. to look at there. I guess every time you're on the television, someone sees you, they're like, yeah, it's possible. Or they see your, your book on, on a bookshelf in, in a bookshop. And that must mm. be such, so proud for you when you, you do see Cyborg Cat or, or any of those books um, on a bookshelf. I was, I was interested to know that when you, you moved here, um, and then you, you went to school in the UK. Did you do a lot of reading uh, and writing? Was that a big part of your childhood? Yeah. Um, fortunately uh, for me, it, it's funny because I probably wouldn't have thought it was um, that fortunate at the time. But, um, you know, one, my parents uh, were both teachers in, in, in Nigeria. So uh, although when they came to the UK, they, they didn't carry on that profession uh, for many years complicated reasons but um because they were teachers they were very academic minded um and when you throw into the mix my disability and the fact that uh, i was one of the very few black kids in our area my parents felt that you know it was really important that i armed myself with knowledge and i became they really wanted me to become an academic um um, because they felt that would really open doors for me and uh, make my life a lot easier. At the time, I just wanted to go out and play football with my mates. You know, I just wanted to hang out with my friends um, and just be outside all the time because I'm a very, um, I'm a physical adventure type of person. I'm a person who likes to be outside and, and doing stuff. Um, and, and also my mind moves very quickly. Uh, so the act of sitting down and reading as a seven, eight, nine-year-old kid was very difficult at first for me. Um, but I, I, I think because my parents had those excuses and because uh, in all honesty, in the late 70s and early 80s, it was quite dangerous if you were a young black child in certain parts of Britain to go out. You know, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've seen things that um, children my age should never have seen in terms of violence, um, in terms of racial violence. And so because of those type of things, my parents had an excuse to keep me at home. Um, and 
eventually after, you know, sort of fighting it off and saying, I don't want to read, I don't want to read. I just got so bored that I ended up reading. And then I realized I liked it, you know, and I enjoyed it. So yeah, I read lots and lots, lots and lots and lots of books, all types of books. Um, children's books, adventure books, comics, a lot, yeah. To read anything is great, isn't it? But it's, what's lovely though, is that they wanted you to do that. And now you are actually doing loads of writing, but also because sport was so important to you, that you know you did follow your dreams and you you did go and play for for team gb and and i know um that you know that was another more battles getting getting to do what you wanted to do um i was interested because you had some physios didn't you they they got you involved in wheelchair basketball do you think you would have done that if they hadn't come along do you think you'd have got done that off your own bat probably not um i think the chances of me finding disability sport and discovering uh, this group of, of people who changed my life um, would have been really slim. You know, even today, uh, I still get dis- parents of ki- who have children with disabilities who contact me on via social media asking how they can find a basketball club or a local sports club um, because it's not as widely known or they're not uh, enough of them um, or advertised as they should be Mm. and that's in 2020 you know imagine what it was like in 1984 1985 that it was virtually non-existent I had not heard of disability sport never heard of it really not know I didn't know I didn't know it even existed and when these two physiotherapists Owen and Kay um, who'd set up a uh, a club a sports club for children with disabilities in East London um, mainly because you know their philosophy was that sport uh, had so many um, qualities that would uh, that 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 would help you in life and would be especially useful for someone with a disability um, that, that this is the reason why they set up that that club um, but if it wasn't for them yeah I, I, I think it would have been really really I, virtually impossible and when they asked me if I wanted to play wheelchair sports I laughed at them because I thought that I genuinely thought that they'd lost their minds when they'd asked when when I was stopped by these two strange looking people in a van you know they were very they were <laughs> as we would say quite hippie looking back then you know long hair beards I mean they, they, it's like they were wearing they would be the skinny jean hoxton beard wearing sandal and socks wearing type that we'd see now but they were way before their time um and they, when they saw me, I genuinely thought, I was quite scared. I thought, disability sport, wheelchair basketball, how, that, these things just can't go together. In my young uh, mind, which was very inexperienced in life, I just didn't understand it. So fortunately for me, they, they were so, they were brilliant. They were brilliant. They were uh, amazing, and they changed a lot of people's lives, not just myself. Um, you, you could uh, say it was because... it was luck that you you fa- they found you. I mean, I've got a friend who organises cerebral palsy um, football, and mm-hmm. it's getting the message out. You know, to start with, it was just telling people that this existed. Yeah. 
and yeah. you said that you wouldn't have known about it in the 1980s um so that's incredible but that moment then got you i mean yeah. i know you was play, you were playing sport but you would never have been able to play football professionally in, in what you were doing well in, in my mind i thought i was going to be the first i thought i was going to be um uh, england's first disabled captain with polio and and that we were going to win the world cup and i was going to change things that way um you know but that, that that's what happens when you're seven eight years old and you know sort of as the other kids in my school got physically stronger um i was getting stronger but I was always at a disadvantage, you know, the fact that I couldn't move as quick and I couldn't over longer distances and I couldn't jump as high. Um, and I was getting increasingly more frustrated that I wasn't able to compete on a level playing field. But I still had that dreamer's mentality that I would find a way and I would make it work. Um, and maybe something, some sort of fate drew us together. They... There, there was something in the air. I mean, I know it's a, not a very scientific way of thinking, but maybe there was something in the way in the air that that said knew that our paths had to meet. Yeah, know? yeah. Otherwise, who knows what would have happened? But yeah. I love the fact you mentioned that you had a dreamer's mentality, um, because I think if you have a, a bit of a dreamer's mentality, sometimes you've got that optimism, haven't you? That that really makes things happen. Um, and and because you were going to. They, you were offered to play in Chicago, weren't you? But um, you decided not to. So that was quite a big, looking back, do you think that was the right decision? It's, that, that, that's really interesting. I mean, it wasn't that I decided not to. It was financially, I just couldn't afford it. Um, yeah, so I was offered a semi-scholarship um, to play basketball um, at the University of Illinois, Urbana, um, when I was about... 18, 17, 18. Uh, and I desperately wanted to go. I desperately wanted to do it because it just, it was like, a, it would have been a dream come true, you know, to be in the city where Michael Jordan um, was in and it was at his peak um, to go to university. It would answer all my, uh, all the problems and questions in one foul sweep because my parents wanted me to be, um, to study um, and I wanted to compete in sport. This would be, this Job to done. me... Yeah, it was job done. I thought this was going to be the golden bullet, the silver bullet or whatever they call it to, to, to that answer. But then as I, um, what do you call it? Or as I investigated further, um, I just realized on oh my days how expensive um, the American education system is. It was just like, even with a semi-scholarship, because I had to, I, I spoke to them and told them about my financial circumstances and they were like, um, yeah, okay, we can do this for you. We could do that for you. But, you know, at the time they were saying that I would have to find a minimum of something like, it was like almost 20,000 pounds for a year of studying. And I probably would have had to get a job part-time to pay for the rest. Um, and I just couldn't comprehend that. Yeah. I couldn't comprehend that at 18. Funny enough, I went, <laughs> dreamer's mentality once again. <laughs> um, uh, I, I drew up, um, I, I made um, some sort of like sponsor thing, paper thing. And I went around East London, uh, knocking on doors and businesses and asking people to donate. To me, for me to, to help me go to college. In, and how in, how, in how successful were you? Well, it, it was people were so much more generous than than I ever thought they would be. You know, people were giving me 
you know, five, ten quid, all, all, all of that at that at that time. And I mean, it it didn't go. I think probably raised a couple of hundred pounds. Um, but it was just, I mean, it was heartwarming to see how generous people were. Yeah, I, I today, even if today I tried to do that, I think I'd worry at the reaction and yeah. the cynicism that I would get when I'm knocking on people's doors. Yeah. yeah um, to, to, to ask for this but back then they they, they were called there was they would just ask me what it was about and you know some people just gave me money just to go away but <laughs> you know yeah and, and a lot of people gave me money but in the end it was it scratched the surface of yeah. what I would have needed to go um, but but at the same time it just so happened literally um, within weeks of each other I'd gone to a basketball tournament in Spain in, in Zaragoza or Zaragoza as they say um, and uh, we played in this tournament and I got voted MVP of the tournament most valuable player of the tournament when I came back um, they I didn't realize that but they, they had a professional basketball system in in Spain for the, for people with disabilities um, I mean they weren't paying huge amounts of money but they were paying money which was which is completely different to what I'd seen over here um, and they offered me a contract they they offered me a chance to go over there and play full-time uh basketball um in in another country uh for a professional team and i was like wow wow so actually i used the money that people had given me to to to, to go to illinois to pay for my flights um to go out to, to spain so it worked out in the end at the time, um, something that seemed yeah. like it was a disaster turned out to be great. And then that led, I guess, to, to Team GB and the Paralympics. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know what? It all came at a really good time because it was actually more important than, than I could even imagine. And it's only now looking back that, I, that I'm starting to appreciate the importance of that, of that moment because I left home at... 16 I was about does turn in 17 and I left home because my parents were or especially my dad was dead set against me playing wheelchair basketball I'd said to my parents that I didn't want to go to university I wasn't going to study I said I was going to become a wheelchair basketball star um, which when I think about it now is absolutely bonkers because this is like 1987 I was saying saying this so I moved out really naive didn't really know that much about the world um, you know I'd had uh, a friend who said to me, you know, if you forge a letter uh, from your dad and you send it to the council and tell them that he can no longer put up with you and he's kicking you out of the house because you're disabled, you'll get a house. And it took about six or seven months and I got a flat in, in, in Stratford. Um, and I also, uh, the two physiotherapists, Owen and Kay, bought me for my 16th birthday, they bought me 10 driving lessons with BSM School of, of Driving um, because they felt it was so important for independence. They mm. gave all the children in the club um, when they were 16, they bought them driving lessons. That's amazing. Um, yeah, they, they, they did that. And they bought me driving lessons. I learned to drive. I got a car on the mobility scheme, um, for, uh, w which helps people with disabilities get, um, get transport and, and, and move about. So I had a car. I got a, a flat and I moved out of home. 
not telling my parents one day I was there next day I was gone which was mad but um and it was uh really dramatic uh really uh traumatic as well yeah. for experience for, for the whole family but I did it because I felt it was the only way that I was going to achieve my dream but when I say I was naive I didn't have much money I was I was on 38 pounds a week income support um and this is how naive I was. Uh, it was around the time of the Barcelona Olympics and Paralympics. I didn't have a TV um, and, and I desperately wanted to watch uh, the Olympics and Paralympics, what little of the Paralympics they were showing, um, that I went to my local TV rental store and I got a TV, the, big, the biggest TV I could afford, which cost me £30 a week to rent and left me with £8 a week to survive on. You're following yeah. your dreams, you see. You're, you know, yeah. naivety sometimes when you're young is, is, I think it's quite good because it just means that you follow your dreams. And would you have ever done that, you know, if no, you hadn't I, been I, naive? I, I mean, it was nuts. I had, um, uh, I lived in this small flat. I had a TV that was too big for the flat. I had no food in the house, but I got to watch the Olympics and Paralympics. <laughs> Luckily, I had lots of good friends who, um, I would go to their houses and they would feed me, um, and especially uh, Owen and Kay, the two physios. So um, in that respect, I was taken care of. But around me, in the area that I was living in, I think it was the early days of the beginning of, uh, of the gang crime culture. So there was a lot of criminality going on around me. Um, I was slightly oblivious to it all because I was so focused on becoming a basketball player and I'd go over to West Ham Park um, where they had some basketball nets. I'd clear the, the park of the glass and the needles and stuff and, and just play basketball. Like Some of the kids would come up and watch me and talk to me and stuff like that because they couldn't believe someone in a wheelchair could play. Um, and meanwhile, all, well, I, it's only when I look back and that when I speak to some of the people in the area there was so much stuff going on. I mean, there were prostitutes at the bottom of my roads. There were um, drug deals going on. People were coming up to me, approaching me and saying to me, can I look after stuff for them because I'm disabled and I'm less likely to be um, searched and stuff like that. It was just really, really weird and just just mad and, and and meanwhile whilst all of this was happening and I was just like thinking what the fuck's going on excuse the language right. uh, I, 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 I was um, I was so focused on trying to be who I wanted to be um, and then I mean some some really bad things happened in the area not to me but I saw happening to other people I mean someone actually once tried to smash a window in my house but I mean that was that was minor compared to some of the things that I saw and I was constantly getting stopped by police so I was getting angrier and angrier and then this opportunity to Spain came along and it was a godsend it mm. was an opportunity to wipe the slate clean to leave and to leave all of these negative things that were surrounding me and to just go and start fresh. Um, and, 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 and when I went, yeah, it was, it, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was scary because I couldn't speak a word of Spanish. Um, and it, initially they put me up in quite a dodgy area in Zaragoza um, until they could get somewhere for me to stay. But I think it was, it was partly the making of me. 
But you also strike me as someone who doesn't get too scared, really, because, you know, you, this, to leave home without the backing of your parents, to go and do something, to, to live in quite a, an area where there was all, as you talked about, such a lot going down at the end of your road, and then to go to a different country, not speak the language, but you, you think it, 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 was, it was the making of you. Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I do get scared and I'm scared. But what I don't allow is the fear to stop me from doing what I want to do. I just think, well, you know, it's part and parcel of, of progress and challenging yourself. You know, you it, it, if it doesn't frighten me, if it doesn't fill me with a little bit of trepidation, then I don't think it's it's it, I'm actually progressing. You know, I, I think that's what it's about. And I, I don't know, I think maybe that's part of uh, something that I grew up with, being able to, to, to naturally um, take that step and and challenge myself. Um, because I always thought everybody had it. And it, it, it was only as I was growing up and I speak to more people that I realised actually it's not something that everyone has in them. You say that, you know, because I think you, you're probably a bit of an adrenaline junkie. You, you like sport and, 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 and often the jobs that you've done, it, there's high risk, isn't there, with working, <laughs> doing, working in telly and, and, and also playing for Team GB. There would have been moments when, you know, steely determination, those important shots that you had to get on goal. So you, you like a bit of fear? I like a bit of fear. I think um, I can look back with hindsight and say, you know, that fear is 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 relative, and 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 actually, in the grand scheme of things, um, I no one was going to die from any of the decisions <laughs> that I was making. You know, I wasn't a brain surgeon, but at the time, I thought it was the be all and end all of, uh, of everything. I think it's more more than fear. I uh, I just think I have this. Uh, this real passion when I find something that I'm really passionate about it, it consumes me and it becomes the thing that I want to do more than anything um, and the maybe the uh, the byproduct of it is I end up challenging myself and, mm. and 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 pushing myself and taking it to myself to these places which were scary but I think those those I, I've always I'm someone that's always pushed boundaries. You know, I remember the first time that I was scared and that I challenged and pushed boundaries when my parents told me that after school, I had to come home straight away after school. And if I didn't come home straight away after school, you know, I was going to get in trouble. You know, my, my parents were old school. And when I mean trouble, it was proper trouble. <laughs> um, but I just could not resist playing football. And I would play football, and while a while after school, while I was playing football, um, you know, school would finish at three fifteen. Um, I'd play football for about an hour, maybe even two hours, because there was no mobile phones there. My parents couldn't phone me up and find out where I was. So you can be pretty much hidden from your parents for quite a long period of time. And I, I would, whilst I was doing it. I would love it because I was enjoying playing football, the camaraderie, the sport, the challenge, all of that stuff, winning and all of that was, was amazing. And then the moment it stopped and I was walking home, then it would all sink in that I was in deep trouble. <laughs> and I'd be walking home thinking, why? Why did I do this? Why didn't I just go home? Why didn't I just go home? And my life would be so much simpler. And, 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 and I'd say to myself, tomorrow I'm going to go home. And then tomorrow I'd be on the football pitch playing <laughs> football again. Um, and it, it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why. And ever since, uh, since I was a little kid, 
that's always been in me. <laughs> Loving that camaraderie though. And I'm interested in um, the camaraderie when you're part of a team, a basketball team, when that finished, I know you still play now, but that was your, all, all your whole day was your life, wasn't it really? Did, did, you, did yes. you really miss that? Um, in a way, yeah, yeah. I think initially when it finished, it was, uh, uh, it's difficult. What, I think one of the toughest things for a sportsman, for an athlete, is um, to know when it's time to stop and when it's time to move on. Uh, because your life, and for me it was probably 20 or 25 years of my life, uh, was all about sport and my whole everything about me was defined by me being an athlete people who knew me even when I was sort of in the early years of or, of um, TV people knew me as the wheelchair basketball guy or the Paralympic guy who worked on TV you know that came first and to then suddenly say okay it's time to move on was really really difficult because I I, I thought more than the camaraderie, you know, because you can still speak to your friends afterwards. And also, actually, what, what tends to happen is, you know, when, when you get to the stage of getting to a team that's successful um, at a high level, friendship sometimes goes out the window. It's a, it's a different type of friendship. Yeah. And it's a friendship that's really complicated and hard to explain in the terms of, if any one of those guys who I played in the GB team um, with now called me up today and said, Addy, I'm in trouble. Help me out. I'd be there like a shot. But I might not speak to them for 10 years. You know, mm -hmm. I might not speak to them for 10 years, but they know I've got their backs. And it's that strange sort of friendship um, where you not necessarily want to hang out with them because it's so, I think it's also because it's so intense. The only time you're together with those people is when you are pushing yourself to the extreme. Mm -hmm. um, so you suddenly associate them with pushing yourself to the extreme and you can't be like that all the time. So it's a, it, it's a weird, different type of camaraderie. What, I'm, what I missed more or what I struggled with more is identity trying to define myself trying to find out who is who am i now i'm not a basketball player now i'm not uh, uh, in, in the paralympics and that was really really difficult and i think i i had some 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 crisis moments actually you know yeah. just working out what you out wanted what I, to do next working out what i wanted to do next well i knew what i wanted to do next but working out who i who i was you know what you know because having being a sportsman and being a, a successful sportsman and winning medals is a huge part of your identity it's a huge part of who you are it makes you feel proud it makes you feel confident it it, it gives you so much and then to think you know I, stupidly i thought well once i stop that's it i'm no longer a sportsman you know which is really silly because all those experiences are still within me. But I think the problem is in this world we live in, everything is so black and white. You're either this or you're either that, which is not true. There's more, far more nuance than that. Mm. And, and, that, and that's what I struggled with. Um, in terms of 
what I wanted to do next. I knew what I wanted to do next. I, I was really enjoying TV and I was moving in that direction. But what was more frustrating is, you know, TV is not an easy thing to get into. Um, and unlike sport, I mean, it, to, up to an extent, sport is a meritocracy. Um, you know, there are complications, there are other things in it which make it not meritocracy. But generally, if you are good um, at what you do, you are can, you can control your destiny. But whereas in TV and whereas in the real world, it's not so much like that. Your destiny is usually in the hands of someone else, the commissioner, a boss, all of that stuff. And that was difficult to take. I bet, I bet. Yeah, well, it's this steely determination again, though, isn't it? Because I know that you, you've done this Africa series that you did last, mm. that was out last year, and you've pitched that for 10 years, and then you got there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most people would have given up by then. Um, so you're right, you, you, what you do is you're in the hands of, a, of, of so many other people, getting an agent, I guess, and, and, and having ideas. But you see, I suppose how you've been successful is a lot of those ideas, like the Africa one, have come from you. You could have just gone, right, I'm a sports uh, person and now I want to get on TV, make that happen for me. And why is it not happening? But you've got to make it happen yourself, haven't you? Yeah, you, you do. And I'm really thankful that um, I met my agent because um, I think my agent, uh, John Noll Management and the people there, uh, Polly Hill, who used to look after me at the agency, Nick Lennon, um, John Noll himself, um, all those people, uh, they, they, they like so many people, in, not so many people, but the important people in my life, they got me. Um, and I think that's the most important thing you need in this world um, is enablers and people who get you, who understand what makes you tick and what you're about and understand your value um, uh, 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 and understand your value actually more than you do yourself, um, you know, and from the moment I met them, they had a plan for me. They had a plan for me and they, they, they told me, you know, John, my agent, when I initially went into meeting him, I mean, I was very reluctant to go and meet him because I didn't think he would want to have anything to do with me because there was no, no one like me on TV. Mm. But he, um, uh, said, look, and, and, and his son, Nick, who was working at the agency at the time as well, and Polly, they were like, well, I don't, if we see you as someone who is, uh, we want to re re represent you, not because you have a disability, not because you're black, um, not because you're a sportsman, but because we think you are a really good presenter and you have something to offer. And they said, and I think they understood the way TV worked. Well, they did understand the way TV worked way better than me. And they were like, it's going to take a long time for you to crack this. But we have a plan for you. And it may take 10, may take 15, may take even 20 years. But we will get you there. And we have a plan to get you there. And I've, I, I, I basically put myself in their hands. And they, and they steered me on this course to where I am today. Um, and it, I, I have a lot to thank them all for because they believed in me more than I believed in myself. And they fought a lot of they fought a lot of um, fires for me. Actually, they, they, they there were a lot of people out there who they had to get and to convince to believe in me. And they and they did it on my behalf 
often without me knowing. Um, and, 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 and it was, it's, it's amazing when you find those people. But also so reassuring to have that comfort blanket almost around you that people who are, you know, you've been fighting all your life coming over from, from Africa with a disability and you've done it all on your own. You had your, your parents support as well, but professionally mm-hmm. having somebody else in your corner must be massive. Oh, it's huge. Absolutely huge. It just, uh, it, it, it's hard even to put into words, you know, because I mean, the only way that I can describe how important that they are uh, to me is that they're the closest people to being family without being family to me. You know, that, that, that's it. You know, that's, that's what, what, what they mean to me, you know, because you know, it's not just, not just the material stuff, but I think there's nothing more important for a human being to have someone who's a complete stranger, who's not part of your, uh, your, your blood family mm. to say, I believe in you. And, and I guess one job leads to another often and the Paralympics hosting that, you know, so many people saw you that might not have seen you and then onto the travel show and, and that must be a, a job. I know everyone goes, oh, I'd love to do that. But it, that is hard work because you're, you know, you are living yeah. out a suitcase. It's not all, not all it's cracked up to be, I'm sure, but it's still an amazing experience. Oh, incredible experience. Listen, um, yeah, uh, as much as there are some downsides to it, it's, it's still one of the best jobs that you can ever have. You know, I can't imagine many jobs that are, that are better than that. And, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing about my, my agent um, and um, even the people who got me into TV before my agents, um, two guys called, uh, one guy called Jonathan Frisbee and another guy called Luke Galley who set up a production company called Two Hands. And they got me into, into TV uh, making a children's show and it was a show traveling around the world um, and it was about endangered animals and and that I always had a dream of traveling around the world because mainly because I was stuck at home when I was a kid and so for me and, and all I did was read books and watch adventure programs on TV so for me to be able to actually go out there and travel was was just amazing you know i grew up watching uh, i watched repeats of wicker's world i don't know if you're if you, if you if you remember that and then michael palin you know um around the world so i loved all of those type of uh, type of shows um and i got the travel bug early on and my my agent pushed me um into into travel tv um because i think one of the things they were very conscious about was for me to do stuff that was ex- the exact opposite to what people would expect me to do. Yeah. You know, uh, as a Paralympian, as a sports person, um, you know, people would expect me to come in and work in sports TV, you know, or talk about disability issues or talk about race issues. And they were like, no, send him off around the world doing extreme stuff. <laughs> and I thought, brilliant absolutely <laughs> brilliant you know and that, that that that's how my career started traveling and doing stuff on animals and doing stuff on on people all around the world um and it's yeah i've i've had the bug ever since i love it i absolutely love it and i know we are, all can't travel at the, at the moment and i'm sure everyone asks you this all the time but where is the best place to go that if there was just one place you've got one Somebody gave you a thousand pounds and they said, right, you've got to spend it on some, it's not a huge amount of money, but just to get you on a plane somewhere, where, where would you go? 
I, I spent I only spent a few days there, but I really really enjoyed New Orleans. I think New Orleans, in terms of of culture, uh, it, it is incredible. It, and uh, it's going to sound really really um, slightly rude, maybe, but uh, and counterintuitive. But it's one of those places where I didn't feel like I was in the USA. <laughs> But I was there because it, 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 when you go to the French Quarter and the Cajun side and, you know, the Creole side, it, it's just, it's, it's incredible. The food, the music and all of that. So New Orleans definitely a place I, I love. But, um, you know, I think so many places in Africa, I would put, um, if you want sheer beauty, um, Mozambique. Yeah. And there's a place called the Bazaruto Archipelago. Filenculos, um, and look it's it the same. It shares the same shares the same ocean or, or sea as um, as Madagascar. Ah. Um, so you can imagine how beautiful it is. Uh, I'll go and, we've got a map of the world on, on the wall. I'll go and have a look after this. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, go, look at Mozambique and Bazaruta Archipelago and a place called Villanculos and look for Paradise Island. So there's an island called Paradise Island, stunning, stunning island with incredible wildlife around it. The, 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 the seas have got beautiful, beautiful wildlife. Um, and they used to have an a, amazing hotel, which all the pop stars and anyone who was anyone in the 60s used to go to Bob Dylan and Marley and all of those they, they, they were all seen and photographed there but unfortunately uh, during the civil war it got taken over by one side of the war and used as, as a place and, it, and now it's this structure which has been bombed on one side overlooking the ocean and it's stunning and it's really atmospheric but you could see what how great this place must have been and, and they're trying to build it back up and the great thing about um mozambique is they're that desperate for tourism so it's so much cheaper and the people are so much fr- are so friendly because they've had so much heartbreak and war and torment that all they want is peace now mm-hmm. all they want is peace you know i'm there so you yeah, <laughs> i'm looking go, it up i'm go. going <laughs> go, go, go. so there you go they're, they're, th- those are those are two places on the list Brilliant. Um, and if you think back to, the, you know, we were talking about um, your, your writing at the beginning of a conversation and Cyborg Cat, which, you know, his mantra, we can all be superheroes no matter who we are or where we're from, which, which is what we talked about really at the beginning. And it must be quite cathartic writing all those stories. And I'm interested in if we look, sort of think back as to all those pivotal moments in your career. I mean, there are so many, aren't there? I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I can think of about five already. Meeting those guys yeah. who, who thought you thought were a bit hippie-ish, um, yeah. and, yeah. and 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 playing and going to Spain, and, and and your parents yeah. they've come come round now um, with, with the whole writing a book. It's it's all it's all come full circle, I imagine. Yeah, I, I, you're right. There is a certain amount of catharsis in in in, in writing these books. You know, um, I. There were certainly um, things that I got off my chest uh, w- w- within the book, um, and, and and a lot of them actually were to to do with my probably my um, lack of not lack of confidence because I always had certain amount of confidence, but I had insecurities, you know. Um, and one of them, surprisingly, was you know I I, I didn't get really that good grades at school. And I never really thought I was intelligent or anything. You know, I didn't think I was stupid, but I didn't think I was intelligent. 
and I know where in no way in my life did I think at some point I'd be writing a book um and a, a published book and a published children's book because children's books are so important and then to write a series of books you know to write three books is for me um even now it's still quite mind-blowing when I when I look at those books it, it, it makes me feel quite emotional um but you know to have that opportunity of writing the books I, I also realized that it was um what's the what's the word I'm looking for it was a it was a responsibility I had a responsibility not to just write any old books yeah you know I I wanted them to be fun you know and I'm not this is no discredit to anybody else who's writing books out there because there's so many great writers but I, I wanted the book to be fun I wanted the book to have all of those things that every children's book had but I wanted them also to 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 be more than that you know, to be challenging, you know, to, 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 to inspire, to challenge and to, to draw upon many of the things that I learned growing up. You know, um, and it's really hard. That's a real hard combination to do because in, in, in the world that we live in, the moment you talk about anything that's nuanced or complex or, or challenging, people get scared. Because, you know, everyone wants popcorn. No one wants, no one wants vegetables or greens. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they want quick and easy. Um, and, and, and sometimes you can, have, you can have something that is more substantial and more nourishing and, still, and it can still be fun. And, and, and I'm trying to bring that to people, make people realise that, that, you know, um, nourishing and important intellectual stuff doesn't have to be boring yeah yeah and and challenging stuff doesn't have to be boring and and yes okay it can be a little bit of um I don't know probably a little bit of an icky statement we can all be superheroes but I'm I say this with the uh, and it's my truth you know it is my truth if me a, a, a kid who was born in Lagos, Nigeria, to two parents who came from a small village and out an hour outside of Nigeria, who brought up two children with disabilities. Um, you know, in in the UK in the seventies, in and eighties, in a working class area, and I'm able to achieve what I can achieve, what I've achieved. Then there is a possibility for every other child out there, and that's what I mean by all of us can be superheroes. Absolutely, so inspiring. What's next for you then, Addy? What, what have you got up your sleeve? What have I got up my sleeve? Um, well, I, I think this, um, what's, what's happened with George Floyd in the US um, uh, and also doing my live streams over the, during the period of the lockdown um, and, and making the documentaries that I've made has uh, 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 sort of opened my mind to say that, you know, I need to do more um, I've kind of uh, a little bit, not shied away, but just kind of thought, well, you know, let's not get embroiled in, in, in too many political things. Um, and it's not, I, I, I think I have a voice and I'm lucky that I have a voice and I can speak to many people. When I do speak, people listen. So I think I'm going to try and use my voice more. Um, and people say, yeah, you, you already do go to schools, but I think I, I might start challenging and pricking places that uh, people don't expect to be pricked. Mm -hmm. um, I think, it's, I think it's, 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 it's down to me. I can't, 
I can't keep watching and seeing this stuff. You know, at some point um, I'm going to have a family and, you know, I'm going to have children and I want, I want to be able to create a world that they can grow up in that I feel proud for them to grow up in mm. and, and I feel comfortable for them to grow up in. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to start, you know, challenging some people and, 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 and pushing, pushing harder. So in everything that I do, so I'll be doing more TV work. I'll be doing more, um, you know, writing more books. Um, I'll be doing more of everything that I've already done, but I think there'll be more edge and more challenge to it. Well, I can't wait to see what's coming because uh, it's, it's a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you. And, you know, when my kids, okay. my kids, they are literally, I've lo- virtually had to lock the door. You've got Addy next door. Can we come <laughs> and say hi? No, you can't. Um, so they're, they're watching some program, I think. But, you know, you are an inspiration to them and to so many people. So it, it's fabulous talking to you and really exciting no, to hear you. what you've got next. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me. No, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to talk on this podcast. No and, uh, problem. Thank you. Take care. Thanks to Addy for talking to me about doing the job he loves. He's on Twitter at Addy Adipatan and we're on at Where Go Right. We've got other TV presenters on the podcast. You can listen to people like Spencer Kelly, Chris Lintott. We've got sports broadcasters as well if you're into your sport, like Rob Walker and loads of other great people. Just check them out. Three whole series now. We're on Podbean, iTunes and Spotify. And if you could rate us, that would be great. I must say thank you to my family who have kept very quiet while I've recorded uh, these episodes. My kids have probably watched too many films to keep them quiet, but never mind, it's a pandemic. Uh, Thank you to Megan as well for being a brilliant producer and to Laura Shipsey for the music. We hope to see you very soon. This episode of Where Did It All Go Right is sponsored by Pearson. Pearson is the world's learning company, supporting talent and helping everyone to make progress in their lives through learning. Working with teachers and education experts, Pearson provides a wide range of qualification routes so you can pick the course which suits you best to develop your skills and stand out in the crowd. Visit them online at go.pearson.com forward slash where did it all go right.